Hey, everybody, Pierre Quinn here. You're listening to episode number 140 of the Leading Wild Green podcast, where my mission is to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Joseph Michelli. Dr. Michelli is an organizational consultant, a speaker, and author of the new book, Stronger Through Adversity. Now, before we jump into that conversation with Dr. Michelli, I want to thank you so much for supporting the Leading Wild Green podcast. You listen to it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can even ask Alexa about it. You've rated it and reviewed it. You've supported it. You've shared it on social media. You've shared the links and emails. Every single thing that you do to support the Leading Wild Green podcast allows us to reach more leaders like you and support them on their leadership journey. And I want to thank you so much for that support, that support that has been so important all the way through the ups and downs, the crazy parts of 2020. And I know that support will carry on into 2021. And I look forward to supporting you in your leadership journey in the upcoming year. Speaking of upcoming year, can you believe that we made it through 2020? Now, I know this podcast is released on December 23rd and you're thinking we still got a few days left but listen out of all the things that we have dealt with this year we've dealt with the layoffs we've talked about the anxieties the uncertainties we've talked about the opportunities the pivoting all the things that great leaders need to be able to do and we're here we're here on the cusp of a new year ready to learn from the challenges that we face and ready to take advantage of opportunities. And I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to take some time and reflect, to think about your journey, to write some notes of gratitude, to say thank you to people who are close to you, to reach out to people who you've worked with, but you haven't really taken the time to thank them for being there for you, for supporting you, for being on your team, for being a good client or a great vendor, you know, spreading that gratitude and appreciation around will really help you set the tone for 2021. And I want to encourage you that before the clock strikes 12 and we ring in a new year, that you take some time to reflect. Okay, my guest today is Dr. Joseph Michelli. Dr. Michelli is no stranger to the Leading While Green podcast. He's no stranger to our leadership community. He was with us for the Next Step Summit that we had recently. And Dr. Michelli is always a wealth of information, perspective, and just a great person to have a conversation with. Now, he's an internationally sought-after speaker. He's an organizational consultant. And today we'll be talking about his new book, Stronger Through Adversity. Dr. Michelli transfers his knowledge of exceptional business practices in ways that develop joyful and productive workplaces with a focus on customer service. His insights encourage leaders and frontline workers to grow and invest passionately in all aspects of their lives. Dr. Michelli is a Wall Street Journal and New York Times number one bestselling author. And his latest book that we'll talk about in this conversation, Stronger Through Adversity, is the business guide for our times. In this book, he distills best leadership practices that can be used in any company and any industry. Now, he organizes them into four main themes, set the foundation, build connection, move with purpose and harness change. This book, Stronger Through Adversity, provides a deep dive into the methods, the tactics and approaches leaders have used to keep their company afloat 
and to position it for success long after the pandemic. And the insights that Dr. Michelli shares in our conversation can be applied to any level of leadership that you're in. So you'll want to take notes on this. Here is our featured conversation with Dr. Joseph Michelli. I'm excited to be joined on this episode of the Leading Wild Green podcast by Dr. Joseph Michelli. Thanks for being my guest today, sir. It's an honor, Pierre. Always an honor. So we're back. I had, to, I had to check the archives. Episode 102 of the Leading Wild Green podcast, we had a conversation about the Airbnb way. So I want to encourage everyone, if you haven't listened to that episode of the podcast, to go back and, and check it out so you can get more of Dr. Michelli. So I got, you know, I feel like, you know, we've we're we've been connected for a while now. So all of the normal stuff that I do with podcast guests in the intro, you know, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to just dive into some some things that kind of stuck out at me that we didn't. Sounds get good. I like that. Time. I like it. So radio host. Yeah, I did that for a long time. So this is a really weird story, but I was 13 and I won a contest on a radio station. They had backward masks, something. So and I figured out what they were saying on the contest and I won six inches of records. These are 45, you know, records and a ham. This kind of puts it back there. And it's a big prize in, in my little town radio station. So I got to go in and get my ham and my rec- records. And they showed me a tour of the radio station. I said, I want to do this someday. And the station manager said, kid, you come back here with your third class broadcast license and I'll put you on the air. Mm-hmm. Little did he know that I would go and do that. And at 13 and a half, I passed the FCC test. You had to pass a test at the time. And I brought in my little piece of paper and he said, okay. Uh, Martin Nonhoff was his name. And I think to this day, he could have said, I was just kidding. <laughs> what are you thinking? Uh, but he honored his word and it was life-changing for me. And what, why, why is it so important for when you see people younger than you or maybe at a different experience level and they have just such ambition or desire just to try something new? Well, why is it so important if you have the leverage or the opportunity uh, to, to give them a chance? Uh, no matter what. None of us, none of us are here on our own. You know, we stand on the shoulders of giants, as Isaac Newton said, right? And and I think that humility reminds us that we are not self-made. We are community made. Mm -hmm. And if we don't make the next generation, you know, I just think if when I'm in my wheelchair and, you know, I'm in the in the nursing facility, I want somebody who had a really good opportunity taking care of me, not somebody who uh, was, you know, beaten up their whole life. So speaking of opportunity, talk to me about your your sort of for, foray into organizational development, and organizational leadership, uh, you know, before you started kind of the deep dive into your 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 own business and, and growing your brand and working with organizations. What was your sort of entryway into organizational development and and leadership leadership development before you decided to really triple down on the customer experience? 
I just love your questions in general. I mean, I think you're, they're so thoughtful. Um, so in my world, I had been working as a clinical psychologist. I got my PhD in clinical psychology um, and I was working in a hospital setting and I just noticed myself doing more and more organizational things. I, my background is in system psychology. It's in family systems. It's in organizational systems. But uh, I was working in a clinical setting and I just get getting pulled into things. One of the big ones was a merger between the Seventh Day Adventist hospital system and the Catholic hospital system. It was two different versions of God trying to heal people. And the two systems were struggling to find the common ground. And so I was part of that, that merger and became an organizational developmental specialist in helping heal the wounds of the change. And from there, I just, I took off. So uh, yeah, that's kind of the journey for me. So, so what, what made you, or, or did you find yourself pivoting? Because a big part of what you do when you going back to the, the previous conversation, the Airbnb way, and even in your profile on LinkedIn, it's all about that customer experience. At what point did you say, this is the area that I want to put a lot more of my effort and emphasis even basing it on those those past experiences? Well, when I was in the hospital system, I was trying to implement a customer service consistency program. I won't even tell you all the mistakes I made. But uh, suffice it to say that I knew that we were on this planet to serve one another. Um, I believe that at a spiritual level. I believe that in kind of in the human to human interactions, that's why we're here. Um, or else we'd be alone in our cave somewhere. So okay. to me, that's always been at the core of it. Then the question becomes, how do I help people serve one another well? And I believe that I believe in commerce and free enterprise. And how do you make a living because you're increasing the quality of life for someone else? And that's been my journey is helping brands who have an authentic interest in improving the human experience. And thus they become successful in the process. You, you studied, you know, even organizations like Starbucks, and, you know, that, that was a big part of your work. Even some of your, your presentations talk about the Starbucks, Starbucks way. What are, what are some lessons that we can learn from how, because we, we look at big companies, right? You know, for, you know, we're from a small company or we're entrepreneur, or solopreneur, or maybe a small nonprofit. And we look at these huge companies and say, yeah, it's easy for them, Joseph. It's easy for them, Dr. Michelli. They have budget and they have systems and they have, know, all of these experts coming in, but what, what are some things that we can learn maybe on a smaller scale that we can implement that you, that you have discovered and researched on how larger companies deal with their, their customers? Well, and this is, a, I'm going to do an unrelated answer first, and I promise to yeah. get to the related answer. You know, I got into Starbucks because I had worked in a small company, the Pike Place Fish Market in Seattle, Washington, just down the street from where the first Starbucks store was open. Um, I literally reached out through the number on the back of my Starbucks card to get a connection inside of Starbucks. And from there, I got my way to Howard Schultz and worked with Howard Schultz for a number of years. So I think an underlying message is, you know, these, these big brands can be imposing, but in many ways, it's just persistence that allows us to get in and learn and understand and, and make connections with them. That said, someone like Howard Schultz, is just a guru of mine. I mean, I find him to have been a visionary leader who said, we are going to 
go beyond, you know, his goal originally was to get past Seattle out to Portland, Oregon, to make it into a regional brand. But he achieved that goal, and then he just kept aspiring to how else can we extend this experience farther and farther. So I think vision was a big element of him. I think he was very compassionate as a leader. He listened to people. He was empathetic. He was the guy who would leave his area and go just thank somebody who did a great job. He walked around a lot. Um, and he was exacting in his standards, very kind to people, but very high standards on accountability. And I think sometimes in, in a smaller businesses, we either get too close to our people and we don't hold them accountable or we're very tyrannical and we don't really understand that the only way we succeed is through others. So for me, I, I learned so many lessons from large businesses that have applied extremely well to my own small business. I want to ask you to put on your your clinical psychology hat uh, now, or maybe you don't even take it off. So <laughs> however, however it works for you, you said, you, you know, you reached out from a number on the back of a card. There, there are, and, and we're looking at things, crazy things happening in our world right now when we're recording this podcast episode, the presidential leadership transition, uh, pandemic, uh, just uncertainty economically, just across, really across the world. And and incredible opportunities are there as well. What, what is the apprehension? Like what's behind the apprehension for someone to say, and when we were on uh, the Next Step Summit uh, not too long ago, you said in, in the video, and I'll put the recording to that in the show notes, you know, if people want to reach out to you, here's your contact information, here's your email, here's your website, you're ready to talk to them, you're ready to support. What's behind the apprehension of saying, People, I have access. I can email a, a leader at a company. I can email an expert. I can email a guru. But something says, can I really? What, what's behind that angst that makes that make? I think there's two levels. One, I think a lot of people have told us we can, and then we try and it doesn't work. So, I mean, <laughs> I think there has been the, somebody sold us an illusion. I think the other thing is that just because it didn't work in the past, we then concluded we're unworthy. Uh, and we should have never been so uppity to think that we could have gotten there in the first place. You know, there have been plenty of people who've snubbed me over my career. I mean, just could have given a rip about it. There have been yeah. people who snubbed me at one point and later when I became more successful, all of a sudden came courting. Uh, it, it's fascinating to see how all that works out. But there have been just as many people who should have never taken the time of day with me, as far as I'm concerned, who gave me an opportunity and thus you know, I then owe someone else the same kind of pass it forward sort of mindset. So, but I think a lot of us have convinced ourselves we're unworthy. Mm. You know, we're not that, we're not that lovable. We're not all that in a bag of chips. And frankly, I think if you're humble um, and you're hungry and you're honable, my three H's there, right? You're hungry, you're willing to change and, and you're humble, things work out really well for you. Um, and maybe not every time but enough times that uh, you'll be in a position to make sure you can help people who are hungry, honorable uh, and humble. You called Howard Schultz a, a guru. Now, if you put your name in, into any search engine and a list of videos and presentations come up, that that word is sometimes associated with, with your title and your work. How do, <laughs> how do you wrestle with that? How do you wrestle with being called a guru? Yeah, I think there's really no guru, no method, no teacher, as I think an album of Van Morrison once uh, wrote. I, I mean, I think 
there are many gurus in my life, right? There are many people who have inspired me, who have been a source of wisdom for me, who have caused me to go down paths that I, you know, I would have never gone had there not been somebody there that I trusted to guide me. So um, I, I don't mind being a guru among many for people that are close to me. I would hate to be anybody's guru um, because I don't have the, all the answers and I certainly have more questions than I have answers, but I, I like asking people lots of questions. Like, I mean, I really feel uncomfortable being on this side of the ledger. I think you do this so well. I mean, you ask these questions that cause people to think differently, you know, and about their own lives and about what, you know, the, the guest is saying, that's really what guru should be. So I, I would describe you as a guru as well. You're kind of opening up insights in people and, I want to be a guru to a number of people, but not the guru. I, lo- I love how you, how you, how you phrase that. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to cut that piece out and, <laughs> and put it as a podcast snippet uh, for people to help frame that, uh, that insight. So t- talk to me about the Michelli experience. Like where, where does that, that phraseology come from and how would you, how would you concretize wh- what you do for, organizations. So, you know, I'm, I'm a chief experience officer at the Michelli experience. So the word experience is pretty thematic to me. You know, I talked about being in customer service early on, and that's what we used to call this human to human delivery of something, right? Uh, over time, services narrowed down to the transaction and experience, thanks to just great minds like Joe Pine, who's in my new book, by the way. Um, Joe, you know, in the experience economy said that there, we move from service economies to experience economies, and we have to envelop service in a total emotional, immersive phenomenon. And so the Michelli experience is designed to help brands make connections with their team members, make connections with their customers and prospects that are emotionally immersive. And because of that, drive likelihood that those people will tell others in social and they will actively advocate on behalf of the brands as well as just stay involved in purchasing from that brand again. You know, at the beginning of the the pandemic, I received an email from, I think, everyone I had done business with as as a consumer for maybe the past five or six years. I mean, it was, there were emails coming through from CEOs of companies that I had even forgotten that I had bought something from that, from that company. And for many of them, I received that initial email, but then subsequently i didn't hear anything, anything else from them. Talk to us about the the experience, the opportunity maybe organizations had, you know, in the middle of just kind of just an unsettled environment, emotionally and psychologically, and even financially for so many people, where you see some organizations, how do they leverage it? Whereas some organizations, I got that one touch and I never heard from them again. Well, now I'm going to pull that out for my use later. Uh, I'm going to pull out what you just said, and I'm going to use it in a blog sometime. You know, I definitely blogged about how everybody was coming out of the woodwork in the beginning. So I've already done that one, but I haven't done the, but where are they now? 
uh, sort of question that you raised, right? Like they've fallen by the wayside. I think what happened early on is that they weren't as concerned about us as they were desperate for themselves. Mm. They hadn't had much of a, now, now this is with some exception. There were some brands that had been in regular cadence of communication with me, and this was just one more in their journey. For some, they had lost touch with me and all of a sudden they were reaching out to me because they were desperate. Hey, we've taken you for granted for the last six years, but you did buy something from us six years ago. And all of a sudden we'd like for you to be you know, thinking about us. So here we are inserting ourselves into your inbox. Um, I think that what, what we really need to understand is that you need to build relationships, not just self-serving once in a blue moon messages to people. And so building relationships is about keeping regular communication with people, sharing parts of yourself with people, being vulnerable. You know, I would, I like not having to be vulnerable. I like not having to tell about, you know, my radio show days, right? But I know that if we're in a relationship here, you got to know who I am. I got to know who you are. I got to know who you're dealing with, right? And I think that's what brands are just like people. If, if you think about it, you know, there are brands that if I sent you, let's let's pretend it's Starbucks. Let's assume, Pierre, you've never been to a Starbucks. You've lived under a rock. And, and I say, you got to go try this place out. It's called Starbucks. And you go in and you try it out and you're very confused. Like, what's this tall thing? Why, why can't I order a tall blonde at Starbucks? That's weird. What's a venti? You know, yeah. it's just creepy. It's weird. Then the coffee, it tastes like Charbucks, not like Starbucks, man. And at four bucks a cup. Are you crazy? And you come back and you say all that to me. And it just so happens that Starbucks is one of my beloved brands. So when you say that to me, I look at you and I go like, dude, what is wrong with you? What kind of people am I hanging with? You're dissing my friend Starbucks. And we develop very human emotional connections with brands. So I think kind of getting at this is these brands who think that they can microwave a connection. It just doesn't happen. They got to be there building value throughout our life cycle with them. And then if you're in crisis, guess what? If they've been there, you want to go and you want to, you want to re-engage with them. Uh, but not just because they came out of the woodwork at you. So we, we find you know, entrepreneurs on a, on a much smaller level really guilty. A lot of the same things. You know, it's, it's, it's holiday season as we're recording this podcast episode in you know, everyone who I know has a business or I've connected with on maybe LinkedIn or Instagram, every one of them sent me an email saying, hey, it's Black Friday. Um, yeah. Send some money my way. And, you know, just saying, hey, hey, you know, just throw some coins this way. And mm-hmm. and even as an as an entrepreneur in the leadership development and coaching space, I find myself sometimes even guilty of that when you're looking at your HubSpot or your CRM, you say, oh, let's reach out. It's, it's low in the cycle. Let's kind of get some energy going again. What are some ways proactively that we can stay in touch with uh, clients and potential clients to build an authentic relationship? That's not just, that's not spammy. Well, first and foremost, I'm guilty of it always when I have a book come out. So like <laughs> I'm going to hit Pierre up for a you know opportunity to be on and I'm guilty about it trying to get people to buy my book. So when it comes to these product offerings, I find myself very much guilty of it. When it comes to service-based offerings, not so much. I really do have a cadence that I reach out to people on a regular basis to see how they're doing. It's in my CRM. I'm flagged to do it. It's not like I'm remembering to do it uh, on my own without some kind of a crutch. But I am when I do reach out, I am not reaching out to try to get business because 
you know, most of these relationships that I'm in in the service business, it's, it could be four years of giving you value before you decide you want to have a conversation about the possibility of me doing something with you. And then it could be a year of us talking about possibilities before you ever decide to pull the trigger on something. So because I have such slow relational build cycles, it's very easy, but it is systemic. So, you know, I remember I, I my, uh, my wife died of breast cancer a number of years ago. And so I'm referencing her, but uh, I used to forget our anniversary um, with great frequency. And so I got to this point where I would contact this florist and I'd say, I want every, you know, September uh, 3rd, I want you to do this, right? I want you to, to, to send her flowers. I'm going to give you a budget every year to do it. And then I want you to notify me, you know, on September 2nd, that you're going to be doing this. Uh, now, how creepy bad was that? Like how just crazy was that? Um, but I'll tell you what, it was a heck of a lot better for her to get flowers on September 3rd than it was for, you know, her not to get them. And it was a method, a system that said, I needed to call this into consciousness and I needed to execute. I think that's what CRM flags are all about. You know, if I, if I have a portion of my book of business, people that I am in relationship with, and I just reach out to you on some regular cadence, checking in on your business, not wanting to offer you anything. Over time, you do enough of that. There's plenty of stuff that's going to be coming in because you're just in relationship with people. Uh, but if I'm pitching you every time I see you, oh, my God. Yeah, I have so many people who I think don't get it. You know, it's like going to a chamber of commerce meeting where everybody's selling and nobody's buying, you know, but like handing out cards, you know, like, hello, it's all about my card. I don't want to do business with a business card. I don't want to do business with somebody who's always pushing. I want to do business with a person who gets me. And uh, I think that's pretty common for all of us. So I said, use your CRM, but use it to make connections and to care about the other person, take an interest in them. The business will come. I know someone's listening to this podcast and thinking, wait, I can pre-schedule flower delivery with a florist. <laughs> like that's just, they, they keyed in on that as, as somebody's marriage has been saved. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you, you, you mentioned, you mentioned your wife, you know, you know I'm so, sorry to hear about that, that experience that you, you went through. How, how, how did you navigate that? Because especially when we're recording this, right. We're dealing with the COVID stuff. And I know of, you know, several people who leaders, leaders with great, large, sizable responsibilities who have lost loved ones or even the, the emotional and psychological fallout from saying we had to lay off three quarters of our staff. Just, just all of these changes. How did you navigate as as a as a as a man, as a husband, as an entrepreneur, as a thought leader? How did you navigate that space of, of, or how are you still navigating uh, that space of, of, of loss and, and transition? Yeah. I can't imagine what it must be going like for right now. If you lost someone in COVID, just what it, you would have to go through um, in the dying process. I do have a little bit of an empathy for somebody who endured a pretty traumatic road. Nora had a six year battle with breast cancer. And then three months later, my mom, was in the intensive care unit and died. So I had those kind of back-to-back -back family losses. And my wife would have been there for me to be next to me for my mom, for pulling the, the, the machines off my mom. But um, having to face those two compounding 
I think was pretty bad. It was a really bad year. I was waiting for a, a much better year. Um, but I think all of these things help us. Look, I, I certainly haven't had any losses in this COVID period, knock on wood. But I would say to you that no matter what losses you've had, if it's life or freedom or loss of sense of control over your destiny because of this thing, that, that losses teach us a lot about what we care about. You know, I, I, one of the things about loss is it makes you realize that a lot of the times that I was chasing something uh, that had to do with a dollar bill attached to it or a project that somebody, you know, I was more concerned about what people thought of me, I should have been home. You know, I should have been spending a little bit more time there because you just don't know how much time you have. When my kids left, uh, you know, they're on their own and they're raising their families, whatever, I, I probably should have spent a little more time in their adolescence knocking on the door uh, when I got home from work and poking my head in at the risk of them yelling at me, uh, what are you doing dad? I should have done it. Cause I, I miss it now. I'm, I wish I'd have done more of that greeting them upon my arrival home. I think loss is a great teacher, um, and helps us understand what we really need to pay attention to. Now, there's so many different categories of, of loss, uh, of grief, of trauma, and you know, this as a psychologist, uh, but you also argue that those difficult moments, the toughest challenges of life can actually help us to grow stronger than we would have been otherwise. And I think that's a, uh, a good segue into your, your new book. Tell us about your new book and what was the, the catalyst for, for writing it. That's called Stronger Through Adversity. Uh, I had experienced a minor loss at the beginning of this year, and then I was writing a book about somebody else. I was writing about Godiva chocolate, and then uh, all of a sudden, everything shut down on that. Uh, I couldn't get to the plant. Uh, they were shutting down uh, access to their operation. So uh, fortunately, I was working with a lot of other clients at the time, trying to help them navigate uh, COVID-19. Saw a lot of different leaders uh, trying to manage these task forces. Some were doing really wonderful things like participatory management. It just wasn't working. In a crisis, you can't get everybody's voice into the conversation before you take action. I also saw some leaders who became authoritative and command and control people, and they just locked down and they could care less about anybody else's opinion. And so there had to be a happy median and we had to learn who was being effective in the midst of the biggest challenge most of us have had in a lifetime. And so from that, I, I had conversations with leaders I was working with directly, their colleagues. Before you know it, 140 leaders later, I had a book called Stronger Through Adversity. And these are amazing leaders. Uh, Pierre, talk about the blessings of life. I mean, I ended up talking to you know the Brian Cornells of Target, the Michelle Gass of Coles, the Hans Vestberg of Verizon. These are CEOs of companies of great importance. I also had small franchise restaurants like Sonny's Barbecue Restaurant here in the South, the CEO of those, and just a number of people in the nonprofit world and in the public safety world. I am so blessed to have gotten so much wisdom from them on how we can all come through this stronger. You know, when you, when you study organizations, at least the, the larger ones that have stood the test of time, it, it's been multiple. You know, it hasn't been a necessarily a COVID, but it's been a downturn in the economy, some shift in the technological structure, some, you know, political legislation that has really disrupted uh, their industry. What, what have you learned from leaders who, as you interviewed them, they've gone through multiple, like their company has been hit multiple times with maybe setbacks or reframings 
on the type of mindset that's needed to, to really bounce back? Yeah, I think that these are brands that say, I don't care how long we've been around. <laughs> it's almost like they forget how long they've been around. We need to face this crisis in a very short time window. We need to get up in the morning and we need to decide what is our mission for today. Uh, and particularly in a crisis, you don't always have data that gives you the ability to forecast very far out. You barely can read a signal from noise on a daily basis. So what's our mission for today? And then let's execute against that mission today. And then let's debrief tonight and let's set our mission for tomorrow. And as we get better data that allows us to predict a longer time window, then we can say, what's our mission for the week? What's our mission for the month? But we stop thinking about what's our mission to 2025, <laughs> <laughs> and then we kind of link back to our values. What is our unique value proposition? What is it that we bring to the table? And what has got, what are we make our decisions based on? And if we stay true to that, we're going to get through this together. Um, and I just, I saw so many wonderful leaders who reframed down to the day, communicated effectively about the mission, listened to the consumers, to their shareholders, all of them. And they tactically moved one foot at a time until they could get a little bit more vision and the fog cleared a little bit. And then they shot for that horizon line. It's been wonderful to watch. Share with us a story of maybe a leader that you work with, the 140 leaders who are part of this project, or maybe a different one where they thought at one point their strategy was clear and they were resolute in the decisions that they made, but then they realized, ugh, I messed that up. <laughs> like that, that was terrible. And they had to really go back and, you know, apologize and, and, and reframe what was happening to come up with a totally, totally different strategy. And, and what did you see really in the character and methodology of the leader that allowed them to be able to do that? So I've worked with Jeff Daly for uh, years now, and Jeff is the CEO of Farmers Insurance. Um, and he told me in the midst of this, I wasn't working with him at the time, but in the midst of COVID-19, his leadership team came to him and said, Jeff, you know, we've got all these auto insured who are not going to be driving around as much. We're going to have fewer claims. We're going to, we're going to make some money from this differential between what we're collecting and what we're going to be paying out. Why don't we give some of that back to the auto insured? And he said, no, I just don't know how long this is going to go on. We're in really good financial position, but I really want to shore up our coffers for the long term. And I said, no, I don't, I'm not going to do that. Next week, USAA comes out and they do a give back to the auto insurer. So now at this point, Jeff could have just been a fast follower, which he was. He immediately matched it and let it be. That's it. Like it just he made his change of position, but no, he went to his team and apologized. He went to his entire organization and explained that he had made an errant choice. He should have listened to his team. He should have taken care of the, the, the customer and all would have worked out in the end. Okay, he does that. They measure pulse surveys of his employee engagement. It shoots through the roof. The, what, what they call an ENPS, an Employee Net Promoter Score, shoots through the roof, 27 point increase as does the productivity. What's the lesson here? Like, let's be real. Nobody wants to be led by a perfect leader. Yeah. None of us are perfect. We make these calculations all the time. We're trading off. We're trying to figure it out. We're doing our best. In retrospect, maybe we should have kind of done it different. And to say that to other human beings, they just trust you more. They just get it. And uh, they help you out. And, and that's the way it went at, at uh, Farmers Insurance. 
talk, give some perspective for say, say you're sitting in the room of, of young executives and they're all wrestling with similar things. It's coming down to the end of the year. Well, the, the budget reports, the, the projections are coming out. The numbers aren't good. There's going to have to be some reductions in staff or programming uh, and some, some even service offerings. And this group of young executives, this is their first major crisis in their professional career. And they are literally afraid of what they're going to have to face. From from your perspective, from the 140 that you have interviewed, from the companies that you work with over the years, how would you how would you speak to what this group of young executives are dealing with, and how would you encourage them for what's ahead? I think at some level, I would be saying, "I'm so sorry that you've been blessed with us." Mm. Um, I mean, I really wish it hadn't had to happen, but. Given that it has, it is a blessing unto you. It's an opportunity for you to feel what you're feeling, which speaks to your humanity and your compassion as a leader. That is a great thing to know you have. It's also important to realize you're not alone and you don't have to do this alone. No man is an island. John Donne said it in his poem. Uh, you don't have to be an island. You have to reach out to others and, and let them know what you're feeling and talk to your peers about it and kind of let them love on you as you go forth and tell an honest lullaby. And an honest lullaby works like this. It says, there's going to be some pretty crappy, unfortunate, terrible, awful things. But I believe that if we stay aligned and together, we're going to make it to a better place, a higher, higher, you know, we're going to get there. Now that may not be true for the individual who's going to get laid off. It may not, you know, but the, still the matter is we're going to get to a higher, higher, even in the way I treat you on the layoff. By giving you the dignity and the humanity and the compassion that's needed to, to frame that message. Otherwise, you know, I send you a text, tell you you're all, you're you're done, you're toast, right? Um, this is such an opportunity for leaders to face things, to grow, to be more effective at influencing people favorably and organizations favorably. And sometimes that's a valley. Uh, and if you handle that valley well, you'll inspire people to do the rally on the backside. Oh man, Dr. Michelli, love love that, love that so much. Love the perspective that you share in our conversation, the perspective that you shared on the Next Step Summit, and I know, in based on our conversation, that the work that you have been doing has been effective, and and people are continuing to reach out to you for for your services and even for your perspective. Now, now that being said, you put a lot of time and energy and research into this book, Stronger through adversity. Uh, why should people make the consideration? Of all the things you're going to spend 15 bucks on, uh, which is what <laughs> this book is, right? like of all the things, this might have uh, an opportunity to give you some insights on how to not let COVID-19 own you. Mm. You know, how it might give you some insights on how other people have stood stronger through this adversity and will come out stronger from this. Um, so it's of the gamble that you might take on buying it relative to the possible benefits. I think there's something in there to consider. Um, it's totally your call. And if not, just borrow it from a library. Uh, I think there's probably some value in it for most people. I found in writing it, this isn't me like Joseph saying, here's my wisdom. Let me impart it unto you. Yeah. Um, I got a lot more in touch with what it takes to be stronger through adversity. Thanks to the kindness of so many people who share their insights. 
Dr. Michelli, what's the best way to, to get connected? Maybe, you know, we've heard about you, but we didn't take a deep dive and we want to learn more about your work. Or maybe we're looking, listening and saying, hey, maybe Dr. Michelli can help help our organization and, and the journey that we're on. What's the best way to reach out and get connected with you? You, you can get me through my website, Joseph, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-I.com. And, and frankly, you can find me on all the social media channels with my name. It's a unique enough name that I pretty much own it on the on the handles of Twitter and the like. And you, know, you obviously want to do that because I'm going to invite Pierre to be on my uh, LinkedIn Live now. I owe him one in relationship to all that he's done in support of me. So, you know, please check it out and hopefully I'll get him on as my guest and we'll put him under this scrutiny with all the questions for a change. Uh, Dr. Michelli, it's a pleasure as always. Thanks so much for being my guest today. Thank you. Great conversation with Dr. Joseph Michelli about his new book, Stronger Through Adversity. I want to encourage you to pick up your copy. I also want to encourage you to reach out to Dr. Michelli. If you have any questions about building a stronger organization with a deep focus on customer service, we put all the links in the show notes so that you have no excuse. You're just one click away from the insight and perspective that you need. Hey, we're on the edge of celebrating holidays. So from the Leading Wild Green podcast, we wish you season's greetings and look forward to being with you on this leadership journey. Hey, that's all I got for this episode of the Leading Wild Green podcast. You know, it's my mission to help you live, learn and lead with confidence. So until next time, take care and God bless.